Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. This week's Law and Order Marathon winner is Tammy Rice of Omaha, Nebraska. Tammy will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at Law and Order Podcast. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Nick Capodice. And these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedurals, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know hey, who I don't have did time it. For this law song. and order, law and order. Come on, that was the right key in everything, I think. Uh, welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at Law and Order, Season 7, Episode 18, Mad Dog. You want me locked up? Because of something I might do. You can't do that. It isn't right. You roaming the streets isn't right, Mr. Darnell. Mr. McCoy. Withdrawn. I'm through with this witness. And joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and the Undisclosed Addendum Podcasts, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. I'd love talking to you, Kevin, way more so than my P.O. <laughs> it's if only I could violate you in that way. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> that got weird. <laughs> I'll violate you right now. Oh, my uh, God. Uh, and rounding out our panel is our very special returning guest from the Civics 101 podcast, Yay! Nick Capodice. Nick. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. This Mad is, dog. <laughs> this is your second time appearing. That's right. Third time if you include the time we recorded. <laughs> deleted the tape. And Rebecca deleted the file. We had to my do it bad. all over again. And we got extra Brady Carlson, but, you know, just everything is in this universe is stitching together. Right. So um, your podcast is all about, obviously, civics and the way we look at government. Sure. And Not relevant it, at all right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, yeah, that it was it's, it was a blessing. We did an impeachment episode, and that certainly gotten a lot of downloads. You've only done one. We only done one. We should. Everybody's should have been done doing seventy five. Yeah. I know. I know. Next week we've got Law and Order impeachment. Mm. <laughs> did they do? They probably did an impeachment. Did they do an impeachment episode? No. Something just very gently related to a judge, maybe a federal judge, because federal judges are the only people who have been removed from office from impeachment so far. Fun ah. fact. Fun fact. Well, I'd love to see <laughs> McCoy. I'd love to see McCoy like start shaking his head like. Was there a break or quote? <laughs> there was a quid pro quo. Now, of course, I've heard you say this at least two other times. I only remember one, but Nick, who's your favorite Law and Order detective team? Favorite Law and Order detective team. Uh, it's got to be Briscoe and Curtis. Briscoe and Curtis. Lucky you. Why is why? Oh yeah, I know, right? This is like you know, it's like old home day at Law and Order. <laughs> now, the prosecutorial team, I'm a little, I'm a little waffly on, but you know. Well, let me let me set it up by asking you the question so I can play the stinger. 
<laughs> Nick, who's your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. All right, well, I have a question. All right, question. yeah. Who is the prosecutor before the one in this episode, before Ross? Oh, hey, it's uh, Claire Kincaid. That's it. Yeah, so Kincaid yeah. and uh, Watterson. Yeah. A, a very popular choice. Yeah. Oh, I know. I feel like such a... I mean, yeah, I guess fine. is Briscoe yeah. Curtis also the most yeah. popular choice? No, he, they're up there. They're up there. I got to say, Briscoe and Green have been doing really well lately. Yeah. And as, uh, as I appreciate well, that. And as well as Carmichael. But I got to get back to this. Did you know that McCoy and Kincaid were having a secret affair? <gasps> no. I love telling people I that. They were? Now they you were. can't not see it. Now that we've told you. Oh, my God. The sexual innuendo is through every single episode the two of them are in together. Is it on the state, a sexual affair in the show or in real no. life? No. They didn't write it in, but the writers knew it. It was sort of, they told the actress, Jill Hennessy, that this is what was going on. Your character's... <sighs> You know, you have this flirty relationship. You guys are actually, sl- and <laughs> Sam Waterston was like, "No, no, no, they're just good friends." And then eventually, towards the end, when the whole thing was going to come together, where you'll find out just before she dies, they had to say, "No, actually, they, you guys actually are sleeping together." Not, oh, okay. So you have to pretend to be sad when you hear she's dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, like, I, I've been getting sex all this time, and I didn't know it. <laughs> I, I mean, as I think I mentioned this last time, but living in New York, you are reminded on a daily basis that. Um, Briscoe, his real name, Jerry Orbach, yeah. gave the generous gift of sight to two New Yorkers. Mm. So he donated his eyes after he died. Yeah. And that's just every day, like Dr. Zismore on the train. It's like <laughs> Jerry Orbach gave the gift of sight to two New Yorkers. <laughs> that's a, that's, are you uncomfortable with the McCoy-Kincaid thing? Is that why you changed the topic? Just yeah. a real question. So there is. It, so I will just say, now that you know, you will not be able to watch an episode without seeing it, including scenes such as the one where we open up on the in Jack McCoy's office and he's literally tucking his shirt into his pants. And like, and like, if they're not That's having because sex, because he drives a motorcycle, right. we know he changes when Except he gets to the office. It takes extra meaning on when you oh, know they're God. Oh, God. <laughs> right, Matt Hogg. <laughs> Now let's take a look at the first half of this episode, Law and Order, season seven, episode eighteen, Mad Dog. Convict Louis Darnell tells the parole board that he's a changed man and won't rape again, even though Jack McCoy says he will. Darnell is granted parole and then immediately cut to a woman found dead, raped, and naked in her bed. And of all the suspects in New York City, of all of them, <laughs> there could be only one guy. <laughs> it seems Darnell lived in that building or near that building or... Probably when he was a kid had some relationship to that building oh, a long time ago. So, this, this part is especially confusing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he obviously knows about the secret tunnel in the basement. McCoy thinks Darnell's a hot lead. Yeah, well, maybe the victim profile's on the money, but from what I know, these deviants find something and gets them off, like a pillowcase. They usually stick with it. Besides, the perp would have to know that building to get in. And Darnell grew up in Ohio, and there's no record of him ever having lived in that building as an adult. Except that 20 years ago, he committed two rapes within five blocks of there. Now, his alibi is that he was running an errand for his daughter, and she got the receipt. I mean, literally, she's got the receipt. (laughs) (laughs) Briscoe and Curtis lean on Darnell's parole officer to bring him in for a physical exam. He's got minor scratches and no body hair. Uh, they That's get enough- hygiene related. <laughs> <laughs> they get enough for a search warrant and find some rape porn, but nothing connecting him to the murder. Mm. Under interrogation, an overzealous McCoy tricks Darnell into violating his parole and has him arrested. Okay, so we learned that Jack McCoy is not a win some, lose some kind of guy. No, he does not <laughs> like to lose. Like, he looked so surprised when that parole board let that guy go. He was like, 
This, hey, isn't, this isn't how it's supposed to go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Mr. Darnell's changed at all. I think he's just as dangerous as he was when I prosecuted him. He was found guilty of six vicious rapes. He was a suspect in seven others. He wrapped a pillowcase around their faces to terrorize them and heighten his pleasure. This is the third time he's applied for release. The third time I've come here to oppose it. I ask you now to again deny him parole. Let him pay his debt to society in full. <laughs> it's a strange open to an episode. Oh, can we talk about Darnell first? Let's I mean, do that. I mean, Polly from Rocky? Yeah. <laughs> well, we will get into Polly. We'll talk about Polly later. But, but I will say, yeah, up. when I saw it, even from behind, I heard <laughs> I talk. Too. I was like, oh, yeah, that's Polly. Did you catch his uh, sort of cameo in uh, uh, Russian Doll? No, oh, but I did love that show. Well, he's in there. He's yeah. ancient, but he's, he's such a wonderful actor. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like a, a non-standard opening where we don't get to the body till two minutes in because we have to have this parole right. hearing. This little hint that maybe it could be him that did it. The dreadful precursor of what's to come. Yeah, because McCoy's never wrong. Never. (laughs) God forbid. About predicting the future. Even though in this episode, multiple people do in fact say, you're wrong. Everything (laughs) you're doing is wrong. (laughs) Well, I do like there was some good snappy dialogue. In this, certainly in the first half of the show. First, you have Curtis, mm-hmm. and he's pressing the boyfriend, the victim's boyfriend, about his blue balls. Oh, yeah. Come on, Raymond. We're all fellas here. We know how it is. You're popping wood, and she's giving you the red light, right? I did not do that. And he says something about, hey, you were popping wood. <laughs> Which is. In the red light? Yeah. Well, popping wood is always a, she's you know, a motivation. She's giving red light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In other words, she's not consenting, Curtis. Way to go, Mr. Woke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know how it is. I don't like it either. <laughs> and then uh, I like it when they go to talk to Rogers about, you know, was it possible that she was raped? We assumed there's a sexual angle. Well, I checked all three ports of entry. No fluids, but the cervix was bruised. Yeah, all three <laughs> ports of entry. Nice. And it's also interesting, during the investigation, they were looking around at the body, and they're like, well, we don't know if it was a rape or not. And then, you know... Briscoe pulls up, well, what about these torn panties? How about that? Oh, we didn't see those. We didn't think to look for those. It's not fair. And we, to be fair, uh, Detective, we have been looking at the body. <laughs> not the six inches to the right of the body. And where are Elliot and Olivia? Let's be real. They haven't been exactly invented yet. yet. <laughs> yeah, they haven't been invented yet. Of course, they will steal this uh, idea about harassing the suspect. True. Jennifer Love Hewitt episode. Years and years later, because it works so well here. Mm. I have to say that after watching Law and Order, I am convinced about one thing mm-hmm. in New York City, is that they've got way too many abandoned apartments and creepy underground basements with hidden escape routes, mm-hmm. and that apparently all the criminals know about them, but no homeless people. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was uh, this was this is interesting. They sh- they filmed in the Lower East Side. And this mm-hmm. was shot in the mid '90s, so the Lower East Side was kind of had a lot of abandoned. This is way this is so unfunny, <laughs> but there was a lot of abandoned property in the Lower East Side, and I used to work at a tenement museum. We know, you know, no, not a it. tenement museum, the, the tenement, tenement museum. museum. But yeah, these tenements were, uh, you know, people were burning them down to collect insurance money as as late as the late '80s, early '90s. A bunch of abandoned tenements, Lower East Side. Yeah, this was very procedural this part of the episode the whole thing where they talk to the friend neighbor and she's like talking about the laundry and it's like the laundry wasn't uh, folded and then there's the whole like uh it's kind of skulking around the basement with the super guy it is all very cop uh and i love that and i can we talk about the plastic bag scene because it's oh, so please. good yeah sure so at one point when they're they, they're high-tech forensic for once actual for once, high-tech forensic who's yeah. just saying it but actually showing us it's super cool they had the plastic bag and an impression and they superimposed the face of the victim i sidelit the bag to highlight any indentations and took a photo 
You want to dim the lights? I compared this image to the autopsy photo of your victim. They match. Her face made an impression on the bed while she was being suffocated. Looks like Darnell found a bigger thrill in pillowcases. I think, what did they use, like a slide projector and just... Or PowerPoint presentation. It was some real sh- shroud of Turin shit. It right was, there. but it's it's this classic example of old school analog technology being mm. more effective than the digital. Like we see all the time, dumb facial stuff and digital software. But now this is like just two photographs, transparencies on top of each other, and it was a beautiful moment. I liked it too, Rebecca. I did. And it was like it wasn't a pillowcase, which is a big thing because this guy's a big pillowcase guy. Mm, he had to improvise. He had to improvise. So I, th- I think at the end, and we'll get there, that we're definitely left unsure or maybe positive that he is not this killer. At any point in the beginning here, do we feel confident that they're chasing the right guy? I did. I did because, I mean, what's the point of this long open beforehand if it wasn't him? And and yeah, yeah, and he's never wrong. So I don't know. Did you think it wasn't him? I think it wasn't him. There was no, I mean, to me- In the the beginning, like right off the bat- (laughs) I just wanted Jack to be wrong, so I, I. But I did assume it was him because you know Jack isn't typically wrong. But well, no, we'll get to it in the second half, so I don't want to spoil it. But when uh, AVB gets in there and gets up in his grill, the lack of evidence, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we do have a couple of hey, it's that guys. Hey, it's that guy. And we already touched on this, but our big role here is of. Louis Darnell is played by whom? Oh, I don't know his actual name. Rebecca? Nope. Oh my god, it's Burt Young. Burt Young. And of he played Polly in all of the Rocky movies. Nobody owes me a second chance. I'm not saying I deserve one, but I'm giving it to you straight here. I know in my own mind I will never harm anybody again. He and Sly are the only two that are the only that, that are in every single movie. Who's oh, Polly? Tell like us the more, cut Uncle. Man or something? <laughs> <laughs> well, my favorite. I mean, I love the Rocky movies dearly. But mm-hmm. Polly is Polly was in Rocky Balboa, which was the sort of sixth one. He was in Rocky Five. He was in, he was in all the Rockies, and there is no other actor who is in all of them. Um, not even uh, what's her name who plays the his girlfriend wife. Oh, Talia Tal- Tal- Shire. Shire. Yeah. yeah. Uh, can we talk about his second most famous role? Sure. Uh, he played Sergeant Ryko in Blood Beach. <laughs> the hell oh is that the one with the creature under the sand yes yes it's a movie where people get sucked into the sand on the beach poster it was a post jaws knockoff right yeah 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 here now i want to read a review from imdb this is a, a a listener or a viewer review this film was great when i was 13 and it's still great now Blood Beach has everything a Saturday night movie needs, from a giant phallic cucumber monster (laughs) to a scene where every few moments the mic drops into the shot. (laughs) I love it when that happens. Five stars out of ten. Nice. (laughs) Can we talk about, sorry, my favorite Pauly subplot in the Rocky movies, and then I'll let it go, is in Rocky Rocky IV, where he's going to Russia, there's a subplot where Pauly gets a, where, where Sylvester Stallone gets a robot. A toy robot <laughs> to bring him drinks, and, to, and the Stallone is like, oh, I'm just like this robot, you know. <laughs> and Paulie gets really upset because he gets jealous uh-huh. of the friendship of Rocky and the robot, and he's like, "You love that thing more than me." <laughs> <laughs> and it's the worst subplot in any movie. <laughs> well, the robot has no body hair. Uh, <laughs> for hygiene purposes. Uh, how about our Hey, it's that girl. Hey, it's. That girl. Mm. I want to know, and I'm going to go to Nick first. Don't do it. You're going to kill me. I don't know it. I don't know. Who's playing Janine Darnell, the daughter? This might be lawful in Peking or in Havana, but we're talking about New York City here. Look at this crap. You've got our phone number and our address on here. You have no right to do this. 
He oh, doesn't know. No, I don't know, but she's she's lovely. Yes, that, Rebecca. Concupiscent redhead. Rebecca is bursting. I'm like, this is my kind of hey, it's that girl. That's Lisa Lo Cicero, who plays longtime character Connie Falconeri on General Hospital <laughs> today. Wait, at one point, wasn't today. she Olivia Quartermain too? Yeah, she was. Well, she's uh, Olivia Falconeri is like her legacy name, but she's married to Ned Quartermain, so technically she's Olivia Quartermain. But okay, glad and, you cleared all that up and on Rebecca. Fun fact: her accent on General Hospital is this exact same as the accent on this show because she's one of Sonny's friends from back in the hood oh. in Brooklyn or whatever, and uh, she looks even better now than she looks in this like 1996 episode. She's a gorgeous, gorgeous woman with a very strong New York accent. Yeah, <laughs> that's her thing. Hey, that's great. <laughs> Listen, I love soap appearances can, on soap operas. I get so excited. Can, can, okay, you remember her from the soap opera. I remember her from her lead role in Love and Loathing at the Ass Lamp Lounge. Oh, my God. <laughs> you didn't see that. No, but I had to look it up. Rebecca, you actually picked out another soap opera, Hey, right. It's That Girl. Tell us about who was playing Natalie, the uh, alleged witness. Well, she was an important soap opera actress. That was Eden Regal, who played Erica Kane's daughter, Bianca, on All My Children, the first openly gay major character uh, on a soap opera in history. Someone was jiggling the lock. I saw it was that man through the hole groundbreaking character and that was young Eden Riedel, Regal so I believe that was before that those scenes on All My Children Was that the first same sex kiss in, uh, t- on TV? Uh, I don't know I don't think so but it was definitely the, it was the opera, first yeah. same sex relationship that was like not portrayed as a fringe or weird or wow. sort of like side plot main character and her coming out and her uh, you know realizing that she was a lesbian and coming out was a long time storyline on the show and that her mother was Erica Kane, the iconic like matron of mm-hmm. the show made it important and it was newsworthy when it happened I mean, it, was, it was like in the news it was a very big deal we also see someone before they were famous before they were famous who is playing the young friend of the victim her name is Myra I saw her face really quickly and I thought it might be um, <sighs> blonde curly hair I, I, I know who I just it's definitely yeah. a before they were famous that's Merritt Weaver no kidding. Yes. Teresa said they talked about doing it. He wanted to, but she was scared. A young Merritt Weaver two-time Emmy Award winner. This is the first of four Law & Order Universe appearances. Nick is shaking his head. She I don't was know on, who she is. She was on Nurse Jackie, and she just recently appeared in the uh, Amazing. Netflix miniseries. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. She's, oh. she's going to get a third Emmy Award. Yeah. <laughs> she's so wonderful. So her IMDb page says that she was conceived by a sperm donor. Wow. How about that? Why would that be on someone's IMDb That was page? my question. Why <laughs> Who is would that? say, this, I want That's this all we got <laughs> so far. She could kill Macbeth with a, with a future like Yeah. That. And also, I mean, this is a more interesting fact, I thought. She attended Camp Kinderland, hmm. a socialist summer camp, oh my. where they sing pro-labor camp songs. So she, is she Jewish? I, I believe so. Well, this is I like mean, a thing, like the Jewish yeah. summer camp socialist thing and you, you, and, you know Pete Seeger sitting there with his guitar that's <laughs> right yeah yeah but that's why her Emmys do not belong to her they belong to all of us <laughs> <laughs> Nick I have a question for go you go ahead go ahead while we were watching this episode I screamed repeatedly to the point where Kevin had to tell me to please stop he was just trying to like go about his business fruit of the poisonous tree <laughs> what does Judge Rickler say about a search warrant for Darnell he turned us down Darnell's connection to the building wasn't compelling enough to support probable cause. He wants to know how many other rapists lived in the building in the last 50 years. 
Kent Darnell's parole officer order a search? We can always ask. Did yes. you find yourself having that conversation with yourself? I was ta- thinking about fruit of a poisonous tree. Kevin, you're familiar, you're, of course, you guys are familiar with the fruit from the poisonous tree, this Fourth Amendment uh, privacy stuff, where, yes, I mean, I'm, you listeners, I guess, are maybe familiar with oh, the concept yeah. of fruit well, from the poisonous tree. Well, a judge said they couldn't, like, pursue this guy. Right. They pursued him extrajudicially through right. his parole tricks. And right. then they found all sorts of evidence. Yeah, and that evidence that. cannot be used in a court of law. And then every f- evidence forthwith discovered, every conviction forthwith is is invalid because it is fruit from a poisonous tree. Yeah. Yes, but they were never able to go to criminal court. True. So it <sighs> really didn't matter. Yeah. True. Do you guys know there's a real poisonous tree in Java? That it's a real for for God's sake poisonous tree, where if you walk by it, you die because you get poisoned. This was the sort of research I do for the for the Civics 101 <laughs> newsletter. Our fun piece. fact. Fun fact. Don't I walk got past lots this tree. Don't walk past this tree in Java. Yeah. And how's the fruit? The fruit. The fruit's pretty good, actually. The tree's bad, but the fruit's pretty good. It's like a quince. Oh, okay. See. Like a quince. Foods yeah. that begin with the letter Q. Foods that start with the letter. What is a quahog? <laughs> what is a quiche? What is a quince? So I think one of the ickiest moments of this episode was <laughs> when they examined Darnell. Right. And uh, oh. they say, Mr. Darnell has no body hair. He told me he shaves it for personal hygiene. Said it was a habit he picked up in prison. Explains why we didn't find any of his hair on the grill. Hey, if rape was my business, I'd shave before going to work, too. Yeah, that was a really gross moment, and he was convicted. Was he not convicted earlier due to body hairs found in? Yeah, a bed? they found a yeah they found a body hair with one of the victims. Ooh, That's why nice he found a body hair. I have a question. Yeah. In what universe would that make it more hygienic in a prison to be completely bald? A and B. We all know how short those like prison showers are because we've seen so many scenes where like get out, get out, get out, get out. When would <laughs> we one do have it time? in zones? Yeah. I think. I guess when would one have time to to like actually indulge? And plus, are they allowed to have razors? Wait, 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 you don't have to shave your balls every day, <laughs> right, Nick? <laughs> not every day. Depends no. on if you're so Italian or not. If I had balls, I'd have to shave them every day. Yeah. I did, did you notice though when Darnell was putting his shirt back on, you could see he was completely hairy. They, I think now Did you know. they shave Burt Young for this? Uh, you know he's like a poodle under that shirt, right? <laughs> yeah, he sure is. They had it. Maybe pro- he's not. Maybe that was the casting requirement. Do they have like a bald wig for your body? Like a this Merkin? sort of thing? The American that's just bare-chested? A, a reverse Merkin? <laughs> I, I think they probably they waxed him like in the, uh, the 40-year-old virgin. And he just kept ripping it off, and it started to bleed through. And you know, I once I foolishly had my back waxed as a young as a young lad. It's a, it's a regrettable mistake that mm. I made. <laughs> yeah. Make it once. I was so embarrassed at the at the, sta- at the place where they were doing it that I and I didn't tell the truth. I said, "Oh well, I'm an adult film, and I need to have it taken nice. off for that." A and that was that made it less embarrassing. She didn't even speak English at the time, so I felt terrible <laughs> that I was like fabricating the story for someone who was uninterested. In Wait, that was the lie you made. That was the lie. I made. I'm a porn star, oh, and I need worst. my back waxed. I was like you 19. couldn't just, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> you were looking forward to getting all those ingrown hairs on your back. That's, and that's what, you were what happened. That's exactly what happened, Rebecca. Uh, How did you know? Because I'm a woman. Couldn't you just say you were W O M A N? Couldn't you just say you were going to jail? When I could have just said I'm going to jail and it's a hygiene thing. <laughs> I'm going to go be on Survivor. I'm not going to be able to shave for eight weeks. <laughs> now, McCoy gets Darnell to violate his parole by playing red light, green light. Oh, that's. <laughs> if you had anything on me, I'd be under arrest right now. I don't care if you violate me. I'm going home. Sit down. Detective. Now arrest him. Hey, Hump, you're in. You just violated your parole. You have the right to remain silent. Get up. Don't go. Uh, Now get him. Now get him. (laughs) What was that all about? He wanted to make sure. He was already on his way out the door. That was good. That's a good moment. Listen, 
There are a lot of problematic things that happen in this part of the episode. The most problematic of which isn't even that. It's the way they bond with the parole officer and get them yes. to go along with their like anti-constitutional stuff by being sexist assholes. See, told you, Lenny. It was a mistake listening to Ross. Who's that? Ah, she's an ADA, doesn't know her ass from her elbow. She's the one who had the bright idea to take it to a judge. Yeah, I tried to tell her there was a better way, but you know how these pushy career women are. Yep, I worked for one. It's like they do the same trick that they did with the guy with the boyfriend of the victim. Yes. Which is women, right? I got this new ditzy-headed rule-following woman (laughs) who just makes me do all the... Things. Yes. Like not sleep with other women. That's right. And they're throwing their colleague under the bus in right. order to indoctrinate this otherwise seemingly nice parole officer who's just trying to do his damn job. I think a lot of lines were pushed in this episode. I'm just going to say it. Yeah. Well, they were. You mean like when Lenny then says after the body hair thing, well, if rape was my business. I'd shave before I go to work, what? too. Oh what? God. What? <laughs> I'm sorry. They just. I like seeing our detectives as bad guys. <laughs> Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. All right, now let's look at the second half of this episode. Well, a judge agrees McCoy doesn't have enough to hold Darnell in jail for that murder. So our hero decides to ask a civil court to commit him instead. Your Honor, he's trying to use a civil statute to impose criminal sanctions on my client. It's outrageous. I'm within the letter of the law. No. Maybe within the spirit, Mr. McCoy. Now, I'll hear arguments Thursday morning. Ross is giving side-eye. Olivet's uneasy applying such a diagnosis. And Schiff is out of his fucking mind <laughs> about how McCoy interprets the law. He's furious. In civil court, McCoy tries to paint Darnell as an imminent threat, but he says, you can't get me for something I didn't do yet. Again, the judge lets him go. By now, McCoy is on everyone's nerves, including Van Buren, because he's issuing subpoenas for everyone that Darnell knows and telling everyone in the neighborhood that he's a sex offender. He even called to every DA in the state to ensure none of them will let Darnell move there. Soon a neighbor who sees flyers brings a made-up story about Darnell trying to break into her apartment. When McCoy wants him arrested anyway, Schiff finally slaps him in the face with the Constitution. But it doesn't matter. The stress has finally gotten to Darnell, and he attempts to rape a neighbor only to be killed by a blow from a baseball bat swung by his own daughter. (gasps) What a reveal. It was amazing. I wasn't I didn't see it coming. Just, Me neither. Neither did he. And I'm pretty sure I've seen Wait, this episode oh. before. <laughs> <laughs> so Olivet provides some important foreshadowing. She says that the pressure builds until he feels a compulsion to rape. After he does, what happens? The pressure starts to build again and the cycle repeats itself. So he was I mean, no doubt. It wasn't predestined. He probably wouldn't have offended if it were not for the harassment campaign by the police and DA. No question. Nick's kind of like wondering. Well, I just, there was a lot of, there was a lot of psychological bullshit (laughs) about things building up and release and what we can expect the mind of a killer to do who will rape again. It just felt like it was just a whole lot of that. Um, And I, 
and yeah, I just I, I I took into question the uh the the use of all this New York City resources to just get this one guy worn down. Were they trying to wear him down? What was the what was the end goal? That they were they were just pushing him so hard. They're pushing Darnell so hard. I think so they hard. thought he would confess. He'd break. He'd break. Yeah. That but, was and the confession idea. is what they're looking for. Well, for once, Schiff has to deal with a whole bunch of fucking receipts for all the <laughs> for the bill. That's yeah. right. And he says <sighs> he starts off with this <sighs> Save your witnesses for the police commissioner. His office thinks that your little operation is costing too much overtime. I'm prosecuting a murder. I'm not looking to save pennies. By the way, how's that case going? He hasn't led his police escort to a secret stash of evidence. I'm stunned. He hasn't led you to a secret stash of evidence. (laughs) Of course not. So this uh, technique to try to get a criminal to break is something that I, to my understanding, was invented in the investigation of John Wayne Gacy. At least the movie about John Wayne Gacy, To Catch a Killer, makes that claim at the end that this uh, law enforcement officer who knew that John Wayne Gacy was a serial killer but couldn't prove it and couldn't get him to break and couldn't get a warrant to go into his house basically followed him every day, all day, and had him basically stalked until he went so mad that he went to his personal lawyer and confessed to his lawyer, and his lawyer walked out of the office and said, he did it. It, <laughs> it, was, it was insane. So that I, when I was Great watching representation, this, counselor. It's, it's actually, it was actually reminded me a lot of that, because they were just like everywhere, and that's exactly how it played out in To Catch a Killer. Well, I mean, I think, I, what else is going to happen at, at this point? I mean, when you're harassing somebody like that, it's... Um, I'm not going to say that everybody the police harasses, you're going to harass them into selling drugs or domestic violence. But in this case, they, be, they basically want him to uh, offend. Right. They're basically wanting him to offend. Right. You, are they making the argument that he wouldn't have offended? I believe they I are. The, I think there's an implication because Olivette basically makes that. She also makes, by the way, the BS psychological diagnosis that his yeah. diagnosis is being a quote serial rapist, which, as far as I know, is not in the DSM. Right. But anyway, um, that you know, it is the pressure that happens. And keep in mind, we know these are fake people and it's a fake rape, but. We're also sort of then grappling with the question of if he's the kind of person who does that under pressure. Shouldn't he not be on the streets where pressure can just happen at any point, right? So it is a conundrum. Jack ends up being right, which is makes me so angry. He's, he's wrong about some things, right about others, because I feel like he's being positively reinforced for this awful behavior, especially harassing poor Anita Van Buren. <laughs> That's not good enough. I beg your pardon? You've had this case for weeks. You haven't given me a single piece of evidence I can hang an arrest warrant on. Mr. McCoy... When my detectives get back from their needlepoint classes, I'll put them on the case. Worst thing he does in the episode. Yeah, ditch like she was able to throw some shade back at McCoy. I beg your pardon? <laughs> when my, my detectives come back from needlepoint. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, the other scene I really loved is the daughter's disbelief in him actually having right. committed the crimes. She, A, knocked that scene out of the park acting-wise, but also it was unexpected. He admitted his guilt to the parole board. Because he had to, or they would have never let him out. Did he tell you that he lied? No, he didn't have to tell me. I just know he never raped anybody. Then how do you account for the evidence used to convict him? I have read where people get convicted of rape, and then years later they're found innocent. Experts make mistakes, Mr. McCoy. Witnesses lie. I think you sort of expected when you're watching the show that she's like, my dad paid his dues or whatever, and then have that moment 
where she believes, doesn't believe in the judicial system and believes her dad was railroaded is fascinating. So there are really two great scenes in the second half, confrontations between McCoy and Darnell. The first one happens in civil court during cross-examination. I'm controlling myself out here, too. By sheer force of will. Yes. Even though you still are turned on by depictions of rape. Yes. Despite your history of 13 rapes, despite being investigated for the rape and murder of Teresa Perez two weeks ago. I had nothing to do with that. You're saying that you can control yourself for the rest of your life. That's what I'm saying. You're lying. Objection. Uh, Okay, so he's making the argument, hey, you can't get me for what I didn't do. Uh, even in civil court. Okay, Mr. Civics 101. Right. Is he right? <laughs> well, what's the uh, what's the First Amendment case that's that's so specifically about prior restraint? Right. This is the Pentagon Papers. Near versus papers. Minnesota. A uh, near versus Minnesota. Right. You. So you. Yes. You. you okay. Where, where's my fucking good job, Kevin? Congratulations. That was really Pulling good. Well, landmark case. Well, that, <laughs> let's, just pre- let's just hope it was the right one. Where's uh-huh. my attaboy? <laughs> yeah, you deserve an attaboy. Well, I mean, I I, I will. Yes, you cannot arrest somebody or prevent something from happening from the assumption that they're going to do something. Correct. You can only do it after the fact. Right. So this was a case of, this episode was sort of a lesson on that, right? It was that we have such strong evidence, we're almost certain that he will offend again. So what do you do with somebody like that? You do what you did to the cannibal cop. You vilify them in the media and the public. (laughs) Well, at this point in history, in the late 90s, they do have a remedy for that, which is... The sex now, offender registry. Well, both that oh. and you can commit them for mental hygiene. Right. Uh, which is what you can do. And we see this a billion times on SVU. Mm. He hasn't raped. We think we he will. We're going to send him back to jail anyway. Mm. And this is when those, they mention Kentucky versus Hendricks, which was the law case that established, yeah, a state can do that. If they think, you know, they got a, a reason to think he will reoffend then they can put him in jail. What could right. possibly go wrong episode. with that? Well, no, we, now, we also have a great second confrontation between McCoy and Darnell, and this happens on the street. You son of a bitch! I'm warning you. You better step off, you understand? You leave me the hell alone! There's only three ways that's going to happen, Mr. Darnell. Either you'll kill me, kill yourself, or go back to prison. So do you think McCoy was kind of trying to goad this guy into killing himself? <laughs> Because, okay, McCoy's not wrong. It would solve the problem. He said there are only three ways. You get killed, you kill yourself, or... You go back to jail. Yeah. Guess what? There was a fourth way. Oh, yeah. Your daughter bashes you in the head with a fucking (laughs) Louisville slugger. There's a hell of a lot of prosecutorial misconduct and police harassment in this episode, which is, A, unlike our Law and Order characters, and B... I think, an intentional statement about the time. Um, Mr. McCoy. <laughs> but you know what the other huge consequence of this was in the episode? We got fucking Profaci back. Oh, Profaci. Profaci. <laughs> Man, you know the police harassment is bad when they even bring in Profaci. To the bodega. Yeah. Hey, Ray. Look at my phone on the floor. Must have fallen off the board. You know, that's a really good likeness, Lewis. <laughs> Okay, so now we sometimes note that the way the audience felt about an episode when it originally ran is very different than the way we look at it in today's woke culture. But I think even the original audience was supposed to come away with the same conclusion that McCoy's actions were not defensible and they led to the death of this person who very likely was not the murderer. Hmm. Anybody agree with me or disagree with me? 
first of all, it never crossed my mind until this morning. It never crossed my mind until we were talking this morning that uh, he wasn't the murderer. I, I, I thought the there was a takeaway from that episode. You're supposed to assume, yes, uh-huh. he was the murderer. He it's, swapped out his, his Fifi, swapped out his uh, pillowcase for a plastic bag, and he did it. So does that change the way you view the final scene, though? Uh, I'm thinking differently about the final yeah. scene now than I did when I watched it. So I myself, maybe like the past me was 1997 me, and the future me through a few days later is the 2019, a little bit more woke version, who's like, this was, this was a sham from beginning yeah. to end. This right. shouldn't have happened. Because they can't write it so it's obvious he's not it. They have to like leave a lot of reasonable doubt, so you go either way. Because if it's obvious that he's not the murderer, then we all immediately know that these our heroes are wrong. Here's why I think he didn't do it. I yeah. think the show underscores it with another piece of very bad behavior of his. Mm-hmm. So the young girl who comes in, the Eden Regal character, and says she was attempted to be raped right. by this dude is lying. Mm-hmm. She and her mother are lying because they saw the posters in the neighborhood and they're trying to get it. I mean, the assumption, right? If they're yep. lying because they want them to lock up this serial rapist. So they make up a story when the girl was at the dentist getting her. And then Jack knows it's a bad story and still wants to arrest him. Like that is like. And that's when Schiff finally puts his foot down. He'll do nothing of the kind. The girl's story is credible on its face. My evidentiary burden is met. I don't care. You can thumb your nose as a federal judge, but I won't let you drag the law through a sewer to catch a rat. We arrest him now. It'll be six months before a jury sorts it out. Stop. Listen to what you're suggesting. An arrest you know is false. Inquisition is over. I don't know. I think that's about as low as we've ever seen McCoy go. Mm. But Ross is still, like, apologizing to him. Sorry, Jack. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry your unconstitutional procedure didn't work, Jack. I really had your back on that. No, she didn't. (laughs) Well, I... This is and this is like the '90s, right? The late '90s in New York City. This is when there's a lot of police harassment going on, and it continues to get worse, and to the point where we are today. And maybe the interesting way to look back on this episode is: had we not given such free reign to police officers in the '90s in response to whatever crime headline was going on, would we be where we are today? Which is uh, an abysmal situation of police harassment yeah. and murder yeah but nobody's I mean, shaving that, their right? body yeah. hair as much anymore no, so i don't know that's that's kind of gone the way of the the way of the dodo hasn't it have you heard sling tv offers the news you love for less hey wait you look and sound just like me i am you i'm the same news programs on sling tv for less you mean you're me but for less money a lot less i'm all the favorite news programs and more on sling tv starting at just 40 dollars a month Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start Start saving saving today. today. Visit sling.com to see your offer. Sling. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Ripped from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Ripped from the Headlines. This episode takes some cues from the real-life case of Megan Kanker. 
After spending the day of the 31st of July 1994 cycling round her Hamilton Township, New Jersey neighbourhood, the seven-year-old girl vanished. She'd last been seen talking to the man across the street, Jesse Tamendaquaz. After questioning by police, Tamendaquaz led them to the field where he dumped her body. He said he lured Megan into his home with the promise of a puppy. When she fought against his advances, he said he strangled her with a belt and raped her. Authorities discovered Tamendaquaz had two previous convictions for molesting girls. They also learned his two roommates had served time for assaulting children. Enraged, they had no idea three child molesters lived across the street from them. The Kanker family pushed for creation of a sex offender registry. Three months later, the governor signed the legislation known as Megan's Law. It required both registration of offenders and public notice of where they are residing. Jesse Tamendaquaz was given the death penalty. But the sentence was changed when New Jersey banned capital punishment in 2007. He's currently serving a life sentence in the state penitentiary in Trenton. Okay, Megan was last seen talking to Mendiquaz while he was cleaning his boat named Sensation. He offered to circulate flyers when the girl was reported missing, and he rubbed down the murder scene with ammonia to throw off police dogs that he'd seen had been brought into the neighborhood. And then he was questioned for just a few hours, and then he brought police to her body. Hmm. So real question, how does a sex offender get a boat loan? <laughs> I mean, he's got like, he has to have like no credit. I mean, you really are cutting to the real meat of the story here, Kevin. I'm just saying, nothing makes sense. A really good question. The sensation. Hmm. The sensation, yeah. Um so the effort to create notification guidelines were already making their way through Congress at this time. The, the first was the Jacob Wetterling Act, uh, which we know from the in first the dark, day in the dark. Yeah. Uh, it established sex offender registries. Megan's Law was signed by President Clinton in 1996, and it deals with public notification. Uh, so they established federal guidelines. The laws are still set by the states, but if you don't, the states could lose federal money if they don't uh, put one in. Can you have an effective registry? without a public notification component. This is interesting because this is tied to me to real estate, strangely enough. Uh, of course we, it is. We never knew in 1995-96 what, what the internet would become, right? Mm -hmm. That when we look for a house on Zillow, there is an option also to look like, how are the schools? And like Zillow's not allowed to say, and the real estate agents aren't allowed to say how good schools are nearby, but you know, you can look it up. The same is the true for sex offenders. You, like, they have a map tied to the real estate map with how many sex offenders live close to you when you buy property, yep. which is, to me, crazy. Like We didn't know this would be the ramification of uh, Megan's Law and the sex offender registry. Well, is that a useful tool if you're buying... I mean, if you care about schools, for example, yeah, would you, you have not children, care? You care about your children not being molested, which I do and I have kids, you know? So, like, uh, I, I, I don't know what to say about this. <laughs> so, this here's... This, it is a very tricky situation. I can tell you that, like... Ideologically, I have a real problem with the sex offender registry. Right. And also in practice, it has been used very, very poorly in many, 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 many cases where somebody, for instance, arrested for public urination is then on the sex offender registry or somebody in a case that ended up not, you know, being a, like two teenagers having sex. And depending mm -hmm. on the law in that jurisdiction, right. Right. consensual juvenile. Exactly. Acts, so yeah. there are a lot. It's problematic in a lot of ways. The difference between public notification, the active posting of flyers and so forth, and the 
parental agency to say, hey, I'm going to avail myself of this online resource, which exists, Mm -hmm. where you can then tell your kids like, hey, don't walk past that. If you ever talk to if someone comes in that house, tries to talk to you, like keep walking uh, and you can just like do your parental duty. There is a big difference because there is an active agency required in accessing a list and making the choice to know. It is different than informing the public as a blanket principle because somebody who might not have standing or somebody who uh, may not otherwise be involved in any potential outcomes from this could then act based on information that they were given without. You mean to be a out. vigilante? Exactly, and it's it's not. I I think that there are a lot of tricky legal and civil rights questions there. Uh, and I think, you know, the, the, actually, the you know, the studies on Megan's law, its effectiveness are mixed. There are some that show, um, you know, decreased uh, uh, sex crimes in certain areas and other ones that don't. So there's also an argument to be made in terms of like the publicness of information mm-hmm. that you can find out if your neighbor is a sex offender without a registry. If you if you really wanted to, you can Google and cross-reference news reports, right. court cases. If you know their names. If you know their names. If you know yeah. their names, if you plug in their, their addresses. I mean, but there are ways to sort of, a lot of that data is already public. And what the registry is doing is, in some cases, is aggregating it in one mm-hmm. searchable place. We do also demand of our government that they aggregate other kinds of data in one searchable place. Federal Election Commission data or, you know, data that we are going to use to make decisions about things like where mm-hmm. we want to buy houses or whatever. So in some ways, in in an instance where it is literally the aggregation of also publicly available data, to me, that's very different than the actively informing because no one is like federal election commission is not like, hey, everyone, here's a flyer. Here's how much your congressman donated to, you know, what like they don't do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But doesn't it? I mean, in this case, they were three men who were uh, convicted of sex crimes. Right. I don't know if you could say registered sex offender. That term kind of means something else right now. But Was it a halfway house? No, it was a regular house. Mm-hmm. But I think with certain laws where you can't live near a school or this amount of area and you can't live here and no one wants to rent to you here, it, Civil does, liberties. it does start to push these people into certain areas only. Right. Where you probably will now also wind up with three or four sex offenders living in the same home. Because, and what area you think those are going to be? Because they're, they're the only ones. Right. Yeah, there's a street in this very town that, you know, if, because I've looked at the map, right? Because I bought property in this in this town. So there's a street where there's about 12 people who have registered, quote-unquote, registered sex offenders. Um, I, I would like to just mention, I have, for some reason, a personal immense distaste for laws that are named after people. Me all, too. You do, me too. Like Marcy's Law here yep. in New Hampshire, Megan's Law. Because they're very often manufactured because of activists, like lobbying right. uh, moneyed groups. Yeah, it's not about that So girl. much right. privilege in that, though, too. Because if you think of, see who, like, the pattern of who these laws are named after, the type of people who can organize, get money, have political levers to pull, not the victims themselves, but the, the policy makers too, yeah. who are using these people's names to push levers politically, I also have an issue with that. You know about Kevin's Law, right? <laughs> do I? <laughs> there probably is a Kevin's Law for all we know. Yeah, it says that uh, whenever you do Hey, It's That Guy, you got to go to somebody before Rebecca because she knows them all. <laughs> no, just the soap opera ones. Hey, that's going to do it for us. So I want to thank our guest, Nick Capadice. Nick, where can our listeners follow you online? Oh, sure. It's uh, at Civics101Pod. Too bad there's nothing going on in the civics world. It must be very yeah, boring. Yeah, it's very dry, dull, dull, dull stretch. And Rebecca Lavoie, how can our listeners follow you? Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Rebecca. And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law & Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. 
Our newsreader was Cy Freider. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoie. Content assistance from Travis Roy and Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These Are the Stories a Week Early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. If you want to know what episodes we're talking about in our upcoming shows, go to lawandorderpodcast.com. Sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the yoga loft above the Bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated.